Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. guys what's up it's another episode of on the back bar you're joined by me christopher menning i hope you're all well second episode we are going to be talking to will edge will edge is the master distiller of green sandwich gin uh, i love this gin it's absolutely incredible it comes from sussex which is where i'm from and will's really known for being a, a sort of champion of sustainability and you're going to hear about it. so there's three things we're talking about today uh, first one is sustainability Number two, we're going to be talking about the state of the gin industry in the UK and certain trends and whether they matter. And the third thing, we're going to touch a little bit on rum, as Will actually makes a lovely rum at his distillery. I hope you enjoy the show. I've got a special guest coming on the next episode, which you can find out at the end of this one. So yeah, stay tuned, listen, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Will, thank you very much for joining us today on the Back Bar podcast. I hope you've been well. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, very well, thank you. Fantastic. So um, I wanted to start off by talking about yourself and how you actually got started in the gin industry. Yeah, so I came um, to the industry uh, from the kind of enthusiast, hobbyist side, really. Mm -hmm. I've been making booze all my life ever since, you know, those those kind of plastic tubs you could buy in boots here in the UK where you kind of, you know, fermented pre-made pre-made beer mash um, but you know over the years I got pretty sophisticated I was making um, really good ciders uh, really good kind of you know, like wild fermented beers mm-hmm. and um, I decided about um, seven eight years ago that this is something I wanted to take seriously so I started a, um, a master's degree in brewing and distilling um, which is a degree that most of the kind of trained distillers do um, in the UK at Harriet Watt University in, in Edinburgh. Right. Um, so as soon as I kind of started that, I began to, to to take it really seriously. I thought, was, you know, if I'm if I'm serious enough about it to do a master's degree in my, my evenings and weekends, then then let's give it a real go. And um, so I'd had that kind of practical background in terms of kind of the brewing and and making alcohol and and then this kind of technical aspects from the degree mm-hmm. um and it was just the kind of commercial side which i had to start thinking about and that kind of led me to distilling pretty quickly fantastic and uh, so obviously we we know it as green sandwich gin which is located in sussex in the world um you've become quite popular i would say in such a short time and you've won a number of awards as well um what, what's in the name of green sand ridge um you know, where did that come from? The 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 geology of the south of England here. We've got this um this great kind of uh, fruit, very fertile fruit and and um, arable kind of growing area, 
called the Weald, and and it and it spans um, most of two counties, Kent and, and Sussex. And around that, there's this quite well-known um, line of chalk downs called uh, the North Downs and the South Downs. Mm-hmm. And and a lot a lot of people know that as being the kind of um, the the edge of the Weald region is a kind of circular region. Well, just inside that, you've got this secondary ridge called the Greensand Ridge um, before you get into this this uh, area called the Weald. So um, as a distillery, one of our ethics is, is provenance. We want to represent the flavors of the local area and, and the Weald in particular. So having this a name which kind of physically encapsulates the, the area we're trying to represent in our flavors kind of makes it makes sense to me. Yeah, and it's, okay. it's less well known than the kind of the, the downs. And so um, it's it's a kind of brand name we can own to a certain extent, but it's also this kind of geographical identifier that people can kind of get their teeth into. That's great. I mean, I'm a Sussex boy myself. I grew up in Eastbourne and uh, Brighton, so I do know the area well. And I've actually been to your distillery too, and it, it's a beautiful venue, the the whole place is. And uh, it's just, yeah, I really like that sense of providence that you're really trying to, you know, encapsulate in the bottle and what you do. Um, the venue itself, the distillery, it was old Victorian coach house, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful building. Um, it's got a big courtyard in the middle where we do kind of a lot of a lot of kind of fermentations and kind of hard graft, and then around the around the edge to the distillery buildings. And and to look at them, you know, it's a real old characterful building. Yeah. You know, like working in a distillery and being a distiller, the the hours are very long. It's quite physically demanding work. Um, especially if you're kind of doing it like like we are without all the kind of bells and whistles of automated systems that the larger distilleries have. Right. And yep. so you know, if, we're, if I'm kind of working all those those long hours, I want to do it in, in, in you know, nice surroundings. And I don't want to be myself kind of trudging down to an industrial estate at five in the morning to flick the still on. So <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> the compromise of using these buildings is, you know, sometimes we have to, um, we, we have to kind of you know, take the long cuts um, that, you know, if we had better access to services, uh, it would be kind of easier. But, but um, yeah, overall, it's a lovely place to work. Good. So, I mean, you're known as being a strong advocate of zero waste and renewable energy. Uh, what sparked your interest in sustainability? I've always been um, kind of passionate about sustainability. I grew up in quite a green household, which I think is just incredibly important. You know, if you have mm-hmm. that from, from day one, then it kind of lives with you. Um, and and all 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 the while, I've I kind of set set up this distillery actually, not not intending for the sustainable aspect of the the distillery to be a kind of leading a thing from a branding point of view and a marketing point of view. Right. But we're doing things so differently, and 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 at the at the kind of leading edge of the industry that it's kind of demanded of us that we 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 do talk about that, which I'm I'm delighted to. But yeah. for me, if you're if you're not building a, a business like a, a distillery or any business with with sustainability sustainability absolutely central to to what you do then then um you're not doing it right um so mm-hmm. yeah kind of we, we we do everything we do through the lens of sustainability and that makes us incredibly different from other distillers in the industry and hopefully it's not that way forever no and i feel like it's i mean it has been for i say like last year such a huge topic now sustainability from you know not even distillers but even on the bar front as well the front lines and yeah. it's big it's big i think there's still more to be done for sure um the ban of the plastic straws that's definitely the right step in the direction that we want 
Um, what other things do you think we should be doing more of in the industry? Yeah, I think it, I think you're absolutely right, and and I see you know a lot of a lot of bars that are doing kind of zero waste serves, and um, it's it's incredible because actually you know being zero zero waste isn't one of those things we we talk about a lot because there's no kind of um, there's no there's no certification for it, and it's a pretty misunderstood term. But bars that are doing zero waste um, are it's quite hard to do, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's and it's really admirable. Um, I think as, as as an industry, you know, I can, from a, as as a as a distiller and a business, we can change everything that we have the ability to change, an agency to change. It's the things that are kind of out of our hands that only the industry as a whole, working together, um, are able to force change, and that's the kind of tricky stuff. And and one of the yeah. big things for that is is distribution. Mm-hmm. And and at the moment, you know, if we want to um, use uh, zero carbon distribution. Well, it doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> right. If we were to go out there and say, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna carbon offset all of our um, you know carbon emissions in in distribution chain for all our clients on their behalf," well, we can't even do that because there isn't isn't wow. the kind of distribution mechanism. You know, the distribution networks are so complicated that there's so many handoffs mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of products before it gets to the end consumer that you just don't know what's what's happening and what carbon intensity is being used. So, yeah. yeah, that that that's a really tricky one. You know, that some of the stuff. It's quite hard. I mean, I agree. The plastic straws and and zero plastic is incredibly important. Um, even some of the kind of citrus alternatives that, that are being used. Yeah. Um, but I think you know sometimes there's there's um, there's there's things that are done and are presented to the consumer as this this kind of great um, this kind of great step in the right direction in terms of sustainability. And actually, sometimes those can be. Um, not much better than the the status quo. I mean, for example, we're asked a lot if we can do um, bulk uh, supply of spirits, right? And um, and you know the but a lot of the kind of carbon intensity in in getting a spirit to someone is in the distribution. If if you're if you're swapping out um, six bottles of of glass for a um, a five liter kind of plastic tub of of, of spirit mm-hmm. if, if that's not kind of returned to us and then reused or then then is actually not that much better than than the glass which can be well recycled and is is the, the recycling mechanisms are, 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 are kind of well well developed so right. um, there isn't there isn't a kind of clear um, uh, there isn't a clear ad- advantage in terms of sustainability from a lot of the kind of um, bulk packs or or you okay. know sachets. I mean, uh, what are the, some of the practices you put in place to be sustainably conscious at the distillery? I know one of the things you mentioned before was um, about feeding the bores with the organic waste you you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, that kind of circular economy aspect is is really important to to me and working with other local businesses using waste streams and, and, and having a use for our waste stream so you know one of the core things about um green sand ridge is that we make most of our spirits exclusively from surplus produce mm-hmm. um from other food businesses so we work with a lot of farms to take their waste um or or their 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 fruit that can't be sold to supermarkets so we're we're paying farmers for an unused food source which we then use 
and then we basically extract the kind of the sugars from it to be used in distilling and then our waste goes on to feed local small holdings so the solid waste are pressed apples mm -hmm. that kind of goes on to uh, feed local animals and then the liquid waste we we collect and that goes to make gas for the grid at a local local anaerobic digester plant wow that's incredible so, yeah. So, so by the time, you know, the, the, the produce is grown and we're, we're almost an intermediate step in that process. We're kind of extracting the, the, the sugars and the aromatic qualities and and then it's still it's still waste. And actually, it's a it's a kind of benefit because if you a lot of food businesses just send their 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 waste waste fruit to, mm -hmm. to small buildings or even just dump it or plow it back into the fields. If you plow it back into the fields, over time it changes the pH of the soil and makes the orchards less um, right. less yielding. And if you if you uh, send it all to um, small holdings, if it, too much of that um, kind of sugary liquid filled fruit uh, will give the animal sore sore stomach. So mm -hmm. if we're kind of taking out all that sweet liquid and just providing them with the kind of the, the vitamins and the roughage, then it actually is better for them. Sure. I mean, yeah, I think you've nailed it there. It's like trying to find multiple uses out of a product rather than just using it once and throwing it, discarding is definitely not yeah. the way to go anymore. I think there still needs to be a bit more education in terms of like you said, how to use the product afterwards. Um, I was quite interested about a change in the pH in, in, in the soil. That, that's pretty crazy. I didn't know that would happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most, most. Uh, I think you, you're kind of, as you're driving around this part of the world, you see all these these orchards and, and people, when I'm talking to, to consumers and they say, oh, that's great, you know, we see all these orchards with fruit left on the trees mm. and it's a real shame. Well, actually, even the orchards that have all the fruit picked a lot of that can be waste because most most kind of farmers who are serious about what they do, if if they leave fruit in the orchards, especially when it comes to things like plums and soft fruits like raspberries, then it just introduces pests. Um, mm -hmm. So everything will be picked and then dumped. Um, so even to see an orchard that's had all the fruit picked doesn't mean that it's it's going to a use. So yep. it's um, it it can be tough for the farmers because it's always if there's if there's issues in the food system it always ends up. Um, at the producer's uh, door. Um, yeah. So yeah, they're the, all the, all, always the ones who are having to kind of pay. So let's start talking about the products you have on offer. And um, we'll, we'll start with the main one, the Green Sandwich London Dry Gin. Um, this was a gin I used a lot back in the day when I was in the hotel trade um, at Gravetime mm -hmm. Manor. And you've got eight botanicals which are sourced within a mile of the distillery. And uh, these are pretty unique, so cob nuts, honey, how did you choose those botanicals? Why, why are those ones? Yeah, so I wanted the the our core gin to represent the the flavors and aromas. If you walk out of the distillery into mm -hmm. the fields, woods, um, all those aromas to be really representative um, of of the spirit. And so, it's those kind of two flavor profiles, the the kind of florals and 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 of the of the fields and then the, that kind of woodland herbaceous quality of, of the forests and so for that for that floral character we're using um honey gorse flowers and rose hips mm -hmm. and then for that woodland character we're using oak moss uh, poppy seeds and hawthorn berries and then we use bay leaves to kind of knit between that the floral and that woodland character and then we use cob nuts to provide a lot of texture for the gin so it's very soft and, and silky amazing and 2018 saw you release two new cask aged gins uh, the px and the rye cask 
Um, how's their entry to market been? Have they been well received? Yeah, they, they're, they're really well received. The, um, the Rycast Gin won um, uh, Age Gin of the Year at the UK Spirits. Wow. Congratulations. So, That's cool. Thank you. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think it's, you know, in, this, in the distillery, um, because I, I kind of set it up and I'm the kind of founder and distiller, everything kind of goes through this filter of, of quality. It's not like, you know, I'm the CEO and I've got a distillery team and I'm putting pressure on people <laughs> right. yeah, okay. to get you know, glittery spirits out the door. Um, so, so you know, even with our age spirits, where we're giving them the time they need to, to age properly, not just putting in, them in the smallest cast possible so that they get the flavor intensity and, and none of that kind of softening power of, of, of time. Yeah. Uh, so the rye cask has, has gone really well. Um, and, and the, the, uh, gin we age in, in Pedro Jimenez casks, mm-hmm. that cherry cherry gin, is um, a bit more of a kind of specialist uh, specialist spirit, but it's my all time favourite Negroni spirit. I think sometimes the 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 gin in a Negroni is playing kind of second fiddle to the vermouth and the, the uh, Campari. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but 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 the the, the PX um, the richness of that PX cask in the gin really really cuts through. Fantastic. Uh, before we go into the other products, what do you think is the state of the gin industry currently? I mean, it's sort of, um, I feel like it's hit the peak over the last yeah. sort of 10 years. Is it going to go any further? Is there anything else we can kind of see from it? Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting one. Um, the, 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 the gin industry, a lot of the time, what I see from a, a producer point of view is that um, kind of localness, um, if I can put it like that, mm-hmm. will, will trump quality and how it's made. So we've got this this slightly curious situation where where brands are being brought to market that are just contract distilled in in the big distilleries you know miles away mm-hmm. and um you know they don't they don't necessarily look great or taste great um but they are presented as a local brand and and often um you know, people are busy, buyers are busy, they, they don't have time to necessarily look behind the scenes or interrogate the the, the identity of a spirits brand properly. Yeah. And so that kind of local spirit will be will be purchased ahead of something maybe like ours, which you know, we make it ourselves. It's a high quality spirit, it's sustainable, all these good things. Mm-hmm. So um that's a bit of a challenge, I think. Um I think there will be a bit of shaking out in the industry in the in the short term it's a bit of a shame that the the category is is being corrupted a little bit by the what I call the kind of stocking filler part of the market right um with the kind of you know flavors and and colors and and and, and kind uh, yeah, of yeah yeah I get what you mean uh, uh, which you know people will 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 buy them and then lots of people have got a sweet tooth and probably don't like gin so <laughs> it's uh, I do yeah the stocking filler I agree it's um it's a shame that it came to the point where branding and marketing overtook quality of a product um yeah yeah there's usually people people often say to me um you know like I'm thinking about doing it what do you think and um I just 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 try to be encouraging and and just just say like like in the beer market you know which is you know a good brand and a good spirit um mm-hmm. and can always succeed and I think a really good product well made will will find the find the find the way um it'll take a lot of hard graft but um but yeah. I think make it work now interestingly I actually think that the next sort of big spirit wave will be over rum uh, which mm-hmm. is going over a sort of big change in terms of um the laws 
of how production's made there. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing maybe is Brandy and especially Cognac, um, having been there recently and seeing some of the changes they're doing. Um, but the, I mention this because you actually you produce a rum and an apple brandy, so it'd be great to talk about those two. Yeah, so we we make um, two two fruit brandies actually. We we've we've just bottled last week our, our plum brandy, mm. um, which wow. you know our version of a, a Slivovich um, or a or a Tuica if you if you're in Romania, which is a, a spirit. When I was um, when I was really young, we had a um, a, a a traveling band of Romanian um, folk uh, musicians. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> stay they, they stayed at our our, our house um yeah. when uh, when they were just doing a few concerts and they, they brought as a gift this this spirit called tuica and and it's basically romanian plum brandy mm. and it had i was i was kind of intrigued and and it was before i was really appre- you know i was pretty young so it was before i was appreciating spirits properly but it had a, a, a plum in the bottle and and it smelled amazing mm-hmm. and, and and years later when i was you know um kind of drinking and 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 enjoying spirits properly it was still in the cupboard and i and i swiped it because my parents weren't a big spirits fan (laughs) and and i was just bowled over it's just this incredible spirit and so um one one, i've kind of in in homage to that memory when we bottled our our plum brandy we've bottled it with a single damson in the bottom and uh, that's just adding adding a, a fraction of sweetness back to the that lovely plum spirit and it's uh, I, I, it's double matured first in marsala wine casks and and then in bourbon casks for a year each so it's a really it's a really outstanding spirit um but more generally i think absolutely agree with you a kind of brown spirit um and and especially kind of more niche spirits um are, are due a bit of a resurgence mm-hmm. when it comes to, to rum it's I think we're going to go through um, an, an interesting kind of period with rum, especially in in the UK. Producers are looking for ways that they can diversify their spirits portfolios, and and they'll no doubt be looking to rum. Now, if you're a, a, a small gin maker um, and and then you want to start making rum, well, the the, the kind of technicals of making it. The skills you need and the economics are just completely different. Right. So, how do you make this make this spirit profitably when when it's quite a tricky thing to make and it's also um, you know the margins are, are much less. So, what we're beginning to see with rum in the UK is people importing um, just either either quality Caribbean rum or just generically made um, like um, neutral neutral rum spirit. Mm-hmm. And either either redistilling that rum so they can call it a, a, a effectively a rectified rum so they can call it a, a, a rum that they've made, or just kind of uh, flavouring it in various ways. And I think I think in the UK we are going to see a small part of the market doing what we do, which is um, fermenting the molasses and distilling distilling the, the rum and barrel aging it and making a kind of credible classic golden rum from scratch. And um, a larger part of the market bringing in already made cheap rum and adding flavors and, you know, and then kind of doing what, what's happened to the gin industry, yeah. um, going going to a kind of, you know, uh, and, and I've also already seen a, a kind of recent release from 
um, a, re- a relatively well-known UK um, brand that makes makes Caribbean rum. You won't name they, anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've released um, a, a cocoa and, and cardamom rum or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, which is a Caribbean rum, which is kind of flavoured in this country. So we're. I, I, my my gut feel says we're going to jump straight in rum to that kind of flavoured category. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, and 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 possibly, but there'll always be the, the the kind of nerdy producers like like me who who you know want to make it from scratch, and and ours will be the rum you know for the aficionados, mm-hmm. um, and then the kind of you know the the, the flavoured rums and the big spiced rums will be for the rum and coke crowd and nothing wrong with that but that's not 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 my spirit not you at all no i love the fact you said you were nerdy as well about all this because i'm very much the same i I love uh just talking about alcohol i guess and uh, i've always had a keen interest in the production side really and it's helped a lot because it's you kind of get to go through the marketing like the flavors and you you understand a bit more um actually i'm interested the rum you have the the molasses where do you source those from yeah, so um, you know, as a sustainable distillery that are trying to kind of represent flavors of the local area and 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 you know, be a good steward of the local environment. What what business do we have making rum? Mm. Um, well, I am fortunate that we have Europe's only cane sugar refinery about twenty miles from the distillery. Wow. Uh, okay. So so they are they are taking um, a very crude um, form of cane sugar of uh, basically the first the first refining of a cane sugar so very raw sugar mm-hmm. uh, as an import and then they're further refining it into table sugars and syrups and, and other things so we actually have a local supply of the byproduct molasses on our doorstep that's fantastic okay yeah so, so that's the only reason reason we, we we make rum is because we have that local supply of the raw raw material if if we were kind of importing molasses from from yeah. north africa or, or the caribbean it just wouldn't make sense how did you um, um so, sorry how did you stumble upon them was that just by chance or did you know they were in the area yeah yeah i mean if you if in london if you fly out of london city airport um you you drive past the Tate and Lyle sugar refinery on your on your way, <laughs> so it's it, it's staring you in the face literally. Brilliant. <laughs> um, it, it like all these things, you know, where you have Tate and Lyle, which you know will supply tankers of molasses to anyone they want, and a small distillery like ours who take a thousand liters at a time. Um, there's this <laughs> there's this disjoint of how people want to work together. Yeah. So sometimes these things take a bit of figuring out. Um, but uh, you know nothing is beyond the wit of man. So um, I, I actually, we, we we then go about making our rum in a slightly different way. I'm not trying to compete with that big Caribbean rum flavour. There's no sure. need. The best rums in the world are made, you know, in the Caribbean, where you know tropical aging and all that incredible wood and um, all those skills. Um, we we don't need or, or want to compete with that. So actually, when we're when we're making our rum, where we ferment mostly with wine yeast to get most of the character, and right. then we add a little bit of kind of rum yeast at the end just to get the, the, the use up as much sugars as, as we can. Um, so what what we're trying to do is is um, force floral and kind of honey flavors into the spirit, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to those kind of like rich tropical fruit. Um, real high ester kind of rums that you get in the Caribbean. Right. So our, our rum to taste is is quite a delicate for the rum fans. It's got a kind of St. Lucian kind of vibe to it. It's it's quite delicate. It's quite mm-hmm. kind of floral and, and honey character. Um, and we don't sweeten or flavor it at all. So it's 
it, it is a bit of a different character to a, a Caribbean rum. And, and actually when people are, you know, if we do a blind tasting, sometimes people are, uh, are on the fence as to whether it's a brandy or a rum. Right. Okay. Uh, and, and that's good for me because I feel like we've created something which has the identity of a local environment and we're using a local produce and, and we're also within a category, not trying to kind of ape or copy, copy anything. We're, we're doing something of our own. Yeah. And I feel that's the problem right now, which, um, people like RL Sill who are really trying to like navigate the rum industry forward it does seem to be the additional sugar the caramel the the colorings that's the big issue I think when it comes to rum but it's what now the consumer are used to yeah so yeah, yeah it's going to be a hard challenge I think but we'll see what happens yeah, I think so I mean like you know just just like in cooking you add sugar to to a spirit and it just adds adds mouthfeel and and yeah. it and it develops character sometimes and so you know i mean that's to, to me that's the job of the mixologist um yeah. you know take the raw materials and add add you know long and 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 strong and and spice and sweet and sharp um so i don't yeah i don't want to want to add a lot of sugar to our spirit um in fact we we uh, i was mentioning you know we add that add that damson to the the plum brandy just to add a add a little bit of sweetness back to it yeah that's the kind of way i i kind of like to do it you know if we if we feel a, a spirit needs needs balancing do it in like an interesting way that's kind of honest to the spirit don't just add sugar to it yeah for um sure. we, we make one one spirit that we add a, a tiny amount of sugar to which is our raspberry eau de vie which is a like an unaged raspberry brandy the raspberry um, ghost right yeah that's right the raspberry ghost and mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a beautiful, beautiful spirit. I found when I first made, yeah, it's incredible. It's a, it's um, it, it it's a raspberry raspberry spirit, but it's completely clear. It's kind of got a vodka character, so it's just a single distillate of raspberries, and it and it doesn't have that kind of artificial raspberry character you get with a lot of infused spirits. Yeah, you're right. Now, I, I found when I kind of first made it that um, that kind of raspberry aromatic quality set sat really separate to to the spirit. Um, and they were kind of two two kind of separate flavor profiles, the kind of alcohol character and the raspberry character. And and I just found that the, the smallest amount of sugar, um, like a quarter of a gram per, per liter, um, just kind of binds those those two characters together and 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 made, makes it more of a kind of whole spirit. So Brilliant. that's the only only spirit. You know, there has to be a definite rationale, not just kind of giving the consumer because they've got a sweet tooth and massive like twelve grams per liter of sugar, <laughs> like God. El Dorado twelve year old, hit, uh, uh, like yeah, bit of sweetness. It's a crazy amount of sugar as well. You mentioned um, mixologists. Are you currently working on any collaborations with bartenders or bars in the area? Yeah, I mean that's that's something that um, I'm wanting to do a lot more of. We we have um, we took on a kind of head of sales here, Chris, who um, used to run bars in mm. in London, and um, he's a he's a great guy, and it's a really good. Um, he is actually yeah counterpoint to me as a as a kind of producer with without a lot of kind of mixologist like training um he, he's kind of a trained mixologist so i feel like it's a really good um a, a good addition to the team and we're just about to start working with a um a, a brand promotion agency who who and their their core set of skills is is working with bars and promoting to kind of bars and, and trade um so I, I feel like i need to kind of outsource those set of skills like i'm yeah. so busy like the the days are so long and so busy as much as i kind of want to be out and about um chatting to bartenders and and promoting the brand um i mean that that's the that's the kind of difficult bit of being a kind of founder distiller is that 
I, I just don't get to get out as much as much as I'd, I'd want to. So sure. yeah, having Chris and and, and um, a dedicated a dedicated kind of bar representation company that's that's the kind of way we've got to go. That's great. Um, you're I mean you're very big in southeast and London. I would say. Uh, mm. Do you do you export much? Because funnily enough, um, I've actually seen you in Bangkok and in Singapore, Greensand Ridge Gin. Um, that's in- <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, Singapore was Atlas Bar, if you've heard of it. Okay, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. known for having the big gin tower of a thousand gins. Yeah. And last time I was yeah. there, they showed me. I was like, my God, there is Greensand. So you're obviously getting yeah. out there, you know? Yeah, that kind of thing is lovely, lovely to hear. I know, you know, we we work with a, a few kind of distributors in, here in the UK that, um, you know, I know they, they supply around around the world. And so that, that I, I know that thing is, is, is likely to happen, but... Mm. Um, uh, it's lovely to hear. We we do a little bit of volume to um, Germany and Denmark, and a little bit now to to Singapore. It's not huge volumes. Okay. Um, we've been kind of concentrating up until now on on on. But yeah, but as you say, building our brand in in the UK. Um, but yeah, the the export market is 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 absolutely like right for us, and 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 we're ready to go. So it's just a just a kind of a time thing, you know where. We're pretty young as a distiller, I guess. We're we're three years three years old, um, and, okay. and and so I, I think I think now's that now's the time for us to start looking further afield. I feel like the distillery is kind of real, really kind of a well well oiled machine, but that's probably only only really happened recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that we find I've lit, in a sense finished kind of building the 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 distillery in terms of you know getting all those kind of suppliers queued up getting like everywhere we store our cast long term and finish stock and and just all of those all of the infrastructure of, of running a distillery just takes a long time to build so yeah uh, yeah yeah feel, it feels like now we're we're ready to start um chasing down those kind of opportunities a bit more fantastic and you know final thoughts what is the future for green sand where, where do you see it going as a as a driver yeah i um I was I was chatting to my dad the other day and uh, and I was saying you know we're, we're, I was talking to him about some new agreements we're signing and and, mm-hmm. and sending pallets overseas and things and and he he said to me Did, wasn't this supposed to be like a, a, a little enthusiast's business where you were like supplying the local area <laughs> and now it's grown into something. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think once once upon a time I thought that might be the case. So yeah, this um. <coughs> Excuse me, sneak. Bless you. <laughs> I think um, as 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 this business grow has grown, I've felt more and more confident as as the as the quality of the spirits has been kind of reflected back to us through enthusiasm of the people we work with. I've um I've I've had bigger and bigger visions for for how how this business can be, um, but you know this this business isn't going to be you know shipping three container loads. Uh, a month to California ever. No. Um, we're a business where you know we we make everything with with hard graft and and all of our spirits very high quality and we don't want to shortcut that. So I'd like I like Green Sand to be seen as a distillery where where genuinely leading the way in terms of sustainability and what can be done and and how how a distillery should operate, making. Kind of amazing and sometimes unusual spirits, but at, at decent volumes, and just not compromising on our our, our, our kind of ethic. And um, I don't feel like we need to conquer the world to mm-hmm. to do that. Um, 
and and yeah it, it's good that we're kind of getting getting a bit of a name out there it's it's sometimes yeah. hard to see from the inside how far kind of reaches reach is getting yeah i mean honestly you're doing a great job um the product's amazing um and i think your ethos and your um what you're doing for the industry i think is really good so keep pressing on man honestly yeah thanks chris i really no appreciate it well thank you very much for coming on the show um and we'll talk to you very soon my pleasure thanks chris Cheers, thank Thanks again for stopping by, guys. I really hope you enjoyed the show. Next guest we have on is Nico DeSoto. Uh, he is the owner and patron of Mace Bar in New York, Kaido in Miami, and he's one of the most famous bartenders coming out of France in the last sort of decade. So this is going to be a really good episode. Uh, stay tuned. We're releasing every single Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and even Libsyn. So yeah, keep coming in guys, thank you very much.